Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Romans chapter 7. Okay, take your Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 7. Okay. And uh, I don't know if I will say anything more powerful than that this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Unfortunately, that's a phrase you don't hear often in churches anymore. And um, it's also a moment where if you want to fire up your smartphone because you have your Bible on your smartphone, it's the only time in church you're allowed to do that. Just make sure you're not checking your emails or returning texts. I, I guarantee you there's nothing more important than hearing the Word of God proclaimed. If you don't have a, your Bible with you, though, today all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons or they're inside your programs. We want you to see the Word of God for yourself. If you don't own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room afterwards, our altar room over in the venue, and we'd love to put the Word of God into your hands, okay? We'll give you a, a, a Bible. It's important that you read God's Word for yourself. Now, uh, you know, we got all these gatherings, Saturday night, Sunday last hour, this hour, the venue, our online campus, and, and what we do is, we try to do it every week, sometimes we don't, just because of time, we have these not ashamed videos where we grab somebody in the church and kind of videotape a little piece of their life so that we get to know one soul here, and so check out this week's uh, video. My parents gave their life to the Lord in 1980, and I got to see the transformation of what God can do in a marriage and in someone's life. Two years later, uh, my uh, dad took a job transfer to Denver, Colorado. So everything I knew um, was different, and I uh, became very insecure, just seeking attention. When I went into high school, I think it metastasized into promiscuity, and those poor choices led to even more insecurity. Shame really, I think, ruled my life at that time. I think my only saving grace was that I was an athlete. I earned a full-ride softball scholarship to the University of Hawaii. And of course, the same thing plagued me there. My senior year is when I actually finally um, got it. I fell on my knees and I accepted Jesus in my life. It was like this weight had been lifted off of me and I was comfortable in my own skin for the very first time. And I just knew I was never going back. And I came back to California. I became a teacher and a coach and started enjoying my life. I had met a young man from this area. We fell in love and we started dating and we became engaged. I thought everything was, was great. It wasn't even maybe 48 hours after the um, engagement that I began to suffer with the severe anxiety and depression that was all too familiar. I was very confused about what the depression and what the anxiety was about. And I remember there came a, a day where I was so sick, I was throwing up. I felt, it was God, I felt his arms come around me and I remember him saying, Jamie, you can marry him if you want, but are you willing to wait? And I remember telling the Lord, I hear you, but what you're asking me to do is I can't do this alone. But I knew from that point I was going to call them the wedding off. There was nothing I could say except for 
I chose to do what God had told me in my heart to do. Trying to explain that to other people makes you seem crazy. There's a big difference between being a single female in the church in your 20s versus now being a single female in the church in your 30s. And it's like, what's wrong with you? And I remember just begging the Lord, why are you making me wait so long? I was reminded of 2 Peter 3, 8. But beloved, do not forget one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. And I hung on that verse. It was in those 10 years of waiting that I grew to depend only on God. And God used me with women who were lonely. He used me with young girls to be real. And there was a purpose in that. In August of 2012, I, um, after many years of prayer and, and telling the Lord specifically, I want 6'2", 220, and I do not want to marry somebody who has kids. In walks in this 6'5", man with um, three kids and has been divorced. But he was sold out for Jesus. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that he was the one for me. In October, it'll be four years that Russ and I have been married. And in those four years, we've enjoyed the ups and the downs of marriage. Just when I thought that the ship had sailed for children, we are going to have one of our own. We are expecting in September. God's promises just continue uh, to follow us and, um, and we're gonna hold on to those promises. Sometimes God asks us to make a decision and you don't really know the why, but you know what he's telling you. But you just keep claiming his promises and not be ashamed of the fact that you have chosen to trust God and you have chosen to go the direction that he told you to go. And that ultimately leads to peace. I'm Jamie Lynn Bianchi, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's a great story. They sit right back there on Saturday night. They were here last night, and her husband is, um, he's one big, big man. He's a, he's a big man. You can't, you can't miss him sitting back there. Great, great story. Uh, it was two weeks ago that I, I preached on the verses that um, we're going to look at today. Uh, and I told you that this section of scripture is just so rich and special that I had actually written two sermons on it. Well, this is the second sermon. This is the sermon that I, that I, that I didn't preach, okay? Um, the scripture that we're about to read was written by the great apostle Paul. He was, without a doubt, the, the greatest Christian to ever live, if I could put it that way. He was actually called by God to be an apostle. He loved God deeply. He loved God's word deeply. He longed to obey God with all of his heart. He had an unbelievable faith in God. He was probably the greatest church planter that ever lived. He was a brilliant thinker. He was a brilliant debater. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament, and he was ultimately killed for his belief in Jesus. He was martyred for his faith. Obviously, Paul was a great man. He was a, a godly man, and yet 
in this section of scripture that we're going to read, he lets us all in on a battle that he faced. As great a man that he was, he's going to share with us a very real and a very intense battle that um, he as a follower of Christ faced. So I want to read this together, okay? Everybody look at Romans 7, look at verse 14. Paul writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so the trouble is not with the law. And let me stop right here just for a moment and say this. Paul has just told us in the verses previous, in the chapters previous, that the law, the the Ten Commandments, if you will, they, they don't save anybody. The law or the Ten Commandments don't have the power to forgive anybody of their sins. He, he told us that the law was simply the tool that God used to show us all that we were sinful. So the trouble is not with the law, Paul says, for it is spiritual and it is good. When Moses walked down that mountain in Exodus chapter 20 with those 10 magnificent statements, they were good, they were holy, they were righteous, they were They were spiritual. Paul says, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't always do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but oftentimes I can't. I want to do what is good, but oftentimes I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me that has is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And I'll stop right there. This um, is a really weighty section of scripture. Here we see the great apostle Paul in deep, deep conflict within himself. As I said earlier, Paul loved God with all of his heart. He had a great desire to live a godly life. He wanted to do what was good. He wanted to do what was right. He he wanted to do what was pleasing to God. Yet there were times in his life when he just couldn't pull it off. In fact, there were times when he would do the very opposite 
of the good that he knew he was to do. And for those of us that know the Lord, if we were honest, we would also say that it, this describes our life also, doesn't it? If we're honest. That we, we love God, we love his law, or in the New Testament sense, we, we love the scriptures, we want to obey God, we want to live a life that's pleasing to him. But boy, there are times when we just can't pull it off. There are times we do the very opposite of what we really want to do or what God wants us to do. Why? Why do we as followers of Christ struggle at times to live out our faith? Well, Paul gives us the answer right here. You see, before you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you were an unbeliever, you only had one nature, the the flesh, the sin-filled nature, the, the old nature. And you got this nature from Adam. It was your inheritance from Adam. It's also called the Adamic nature. And everybody on planet Earth has it. Everybody. I have it. You have it. When when Adam in Genesis chapter 3 made the decision to blow off God, to sin against God, it brought sin into the world. He, he, He handed down to every living human being what is called an Adamic nature, a sinful nature. It's our inheritance. We actually all inherited something from Adam. It wasn't a house or a car or a boat or money or jewelry, which is what you commonly think of when you get an inheritance. The inheritance we got from Adam was our sinful nature, our Adamic nature. And the Bible tells us that this Adamic nature, this sin-filled nature is under the control of the most diabolical force on planet Earth. Ephesians chapter 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is giving us some really important information that the old man, the old nature, the sin-filled nature, the Adamic nature, that that. Uh, phrases used differently in, in different versions of the Bible is under the control of the enemy. But there came a moment when everything changed. There came a moment when you invited Jesus to be a part of your life. There, there came a moment when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life. And if that decision was genuine, God did exactly what you asked him to do. He came into your life. He sent his Holy Spirit to invade your soul, which means that you as a Christian now have two natures within you. You have the old, Adamic, sin-filled nature. Everybody has this. And now, as a believer in Christ, you also have the new Christ-filled nature. Now, these 
having these two natures within you created a weird dilemma within your soul because your new Christ-filled nature wants to do what is right. It wants to follow the Lord. It wants to obey all of God's commands. It's under the control of, of God. Your new Christ-filled nature loves to come to church. It loves to sing songs. It loves to read the word of God. It loves to pray. It loves to give. It loves to serve others. It, it loves to sacrifice. But the old sin-filled nature has a different agenda. It doesn't want to come to church. Isn't it interesting that as a believer, there are these moments, could be Saturday night, Sunday morning, you wake up and there's just Man, do I go? Do I not go? I mean, I went last week, right? Isn't one enough? Well, you know, I could stay home and be with my family, and you come up with all of these rationales in your mind as to why you don't need to come to church. The old sin-filled nature doesn't want you to give. That's why there's always this war right at that moment when that little green bag goes by. The last thing your old sin-filled nature wants you to do is give a gift to the Lord because we're going to take that gift and buy Bibles and hand those out to people. We're going to be a blessing to other churches. We're going to support missionaries all over the world. We're going to be about the Father's business here. Your old sin-filled nature doesn't want to serve others. It wants to be the boss. It wants to do its own thing. It likes things the way they were before the new nature showed up on the scene. In fact, the old nature hates everything there is about the new nature. Romans chapter 8, eight says this, the sinful mind or the sin-filled nature is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. That's a pretty important piece of information, right? You see, those that only have the Adamic nature, unbelievers, have little, if any, sensitivity to sin, or especially the weightiness of sin. Unbelievers don't worry about obeying God. They don't even believe in God. Unbelievers don't care what the Bible says because, again, they, they don't even believe in God. The primary worry of an unbeliever is simply themselves. Now, they'd never say that. But it is. They do whatever they want. They're the boss of their own life. Nobody's going to tell them what to do, especially an ancient book. They're going to work really hard to somehow, there's just no God. There's just no God. Because your flesh, your Adamic nature, doesn't want anything to do with God. It's hostile towards God. But for the follower of Christ, it's just the opposite, right? We're, we're hypersensitive to God. We're hypersensitive to God's law because we do believe in God. We do believe in God's laws. We've got the spirit of, of God living within us. For those of us that are true followers of Christ, our theme verse can be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. I've shared this with you before. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you've uh, we're sealed for the day of redemption. That, that literally, if you truly know the Lord, could be our theme verse, right? The last thing a true believer wants to do is somehow grieve God by how we live. 
We, we don't want to bum God out or disappoint God. That's, that's the heart of every true believer. I mean, we, we as believers, we loathe sin. We despise sin. We only want to please God. We only want to do God's will. But like the great Apostle Paul, there are times when we just can't pull it off. There are times when we think things that are just wrong and evil. <laughs> there are times when I have just some of the most crummy thoughts run through my brain. I mean, no, they're not, they're not crummy. They're just downright evil. They're just wicked. And I have to stop and go, whoa, 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 where did that come from? And I got to take that thought captive and realize that's not coming from the Lord. That's not coming from the new Christ-filled nature. That's coming from somewhere else. It's, it's coming from my inheritance from Adam. It's my Adamic nature. It's my sin-filled nature. Wow. There are times when we go beyond just thinking about evil things and we actually say things that are wrong and evil, right? And most of the time we say those evil, crummy things to the people we love the most. And then there are times when we do things that are just flat out wrong and evil. It's just crummy. We just know they're wrong. We just know they're evil. Just know it. And it's all because this side of heaven, we still have our old sin-filled nature that we have to deal with. Let me share with you two important things about your old nature. Number one, your old nature only wants to do one thing, and that's sin. That's all it wants to do. That's it. It has one goal, one purpose, and that is to simply sin, simply to make sure that somehow this is disobeyed. That's all it does. That's it. One goal, it's all the Adamic nature wants, is that you would live contrary to this. And number two, your old nature will never change. You can't whip your old nature into shape. You can't discipline it into shape. It's absolutely impossible. So you know what this means for those of us that are followers of Christ? It means that as long as you live on this earth, you're stuck with your old nature and all of its sinful desires. This side of glory, you'll never be totally free from your old nature, from your Adamic nature. So you know what this means? It means that you've got to learn how to win the battle. You've got to learn how to win the, the civil war that wages within your soul at times. And in our text, I think Paul gives us a, a pretty good roadmap for us to look at or for us maybe to follow. And what I did was I just broke it down into three major thoughts, okay? And the first one is this. You want to win the civil war that wages within you, you just got to be honest about your life. Got to be honest about your struggles. You got to be honest about your sin. You got to be honest about how you live your life, your disobedience. Look at verse 14. 
Paul says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble's with me, for I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, Paul says, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I actually don't want to do, the things I actually hate. Beloved, in my opinion, one of the most impressive things about Paul's life was his honesty. He wasn't afraid to be honest about his struggles. He wasn't afraid to be honest about his sin. He wasn't afraid to be honest about those moments in his life that, that he just lived in disobedience to God. He didn't put a mask on and pretend, you know, that, that he was perfect or whatever. He didn't try to fake anybody out. He wasn't afraid to admit that he struggled with things in his life, which, by the way, in my opinion, is one of the reasons God used him in such great ways. Because he was just honest. He's writing to a group of people he's never met. And he's unloading these struggles that he faced. Here's the deal. The, the first step in winning the civil war that wages within you is to follow the example of Paul and simply be honest about your struggles. You have to get to the point in your life where you can admit that you're messed up that you're broken. It doesn't matter whether your spouse knows that you're messed up and broken. It doesn't matter that your kids know that you're messed up and broken. It doesn't matter that your buddies know that you're messed up and broken. It doesn't matter that the people that you work with know that you're messed up and broken. You have to get to the point in your life where you recognize it. Because if you don't ever get there, you're never gonna win the Civil War. You're not going to get, you're just not going to win it. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. There will be a moment when we won't have sin to deal with anymore, and that's when we get to glory, because we won't have this, the flesh. The Adamic nature will die and be buried in a casket. But right now, the truth is, you do struggle with sin. That's the truth. And when you act like or come across like you got it all together and you have no sin in your life, then you know what, here's the deal. You're just not living in the truth. You may know the Lord. I'm not questioning your Christianity but you certainly aren't living in the truth of what this book says. Because this side of heaven, you have an inheritance that you can't get rid of. And by the way, mom, dad, you pass down that inherent inheritance to your children. They, end up, they may end up getting your house or your car or whatever, but you gave them something else. And that is the Adamic nature. I love the first seven words of verse 15. He says, uh, Paul says, man, I, I don't understand what I do. <laughs> Some of your Bibles say, I don't understand myself. Uh, now, beloved, that's being honest, isn't it? 
I mean, here you have the great apostle Paul saying that there are times in his life when he doesn't always understand why he does what he does. The reason I love these seven words so much is because they brought me a lot of comfort over the years. Because if the great apostle Paul doesn't always get what's going on in his life, then it's probably okay that I don't get it either at times. Here's the great apostle Paul. We literally are gonna spend maybe two years studying the letter that he wrote to the Romans. 13 books he wrote. And he just wrote, there are times when I don't understand myself. That's just weighty. I can't tell you how many times I've made those seven words a prayer of mine. Lord, help me, because <laughs> I don't understand myself. I don't understand what I'm doing, God. Why did I just say that? Why did I just do that? Beloved God uses not the perfect, not those that have it all together, but rather he uses those that come to him in humility that come to him with all of their brokenness, that come to him with all their confusion, that recognize they've fallen short, way short of God's perfect standard, and they simply cry out for his love and his forgiveness. In other words, they're honest about who they are. There's a, a great song that we used to sing. Now I'm gonna blow some of you away. Some of you are young. And there was a time in, in the church, not just this one, but the church overall, where we didn't have jumbotrons. Okay, now some of you are going, what? How old are you, man? That's weird. And so, so we could all sing songs together. We had these things that were called hymnals. And they used to be in the back of all the chairs. So that, that way the, the music person would say, hey, take your hymnal, and then they would tell you to open up to a page, you know, uh, uh, song 519. And so everybody would take their hymnal. I know some of you are just going, wow. I didn't even realize, man, how it used to be. And then we'd all hold the book in our hand, and then we would all sing the song. And so you got to imagine some of the songs in here are just like ancient. <laughs> song 519 some of you will remember this. It goes like this. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, and he made something beautiful of my life. Let me tell you something. That song, as ancient as it is, is loaded with truth. Because the only thing we have to offer him is our sin, our disobedience, our wickedness, our evil. That's all we got. You don't bring anything good to God. Nothing. 
There's only one thing that's good, and that's Jesus. The only thing we bring is our brokenness, our strife, our sin. And then he takes that, and he makes something beautiful of your life. You see, because he's good. And when you invite Christ into your life, by virtue of the fact that he's in your life, he makes you good. There are too many believers that walk around and go, man, I'd never sing that song. I got way more to bring to God than my brokenness and strife. I'm an incredible musician. I can sing. God's lucky to have me. But that, that, that's how a lot of believers kind of operate. They got, they don't, no broken, I don't have to give him anything, man. My life is so good. Yeah, the poor sap sitting next to you, he, he's, he's goofed up, right? <laughs> Not you. Let me tell you something. There's power. You'll begin to win the civil war when you go, you know what? I am broken. I've got all this junk in my life. Oh, I've come a long way. Boy, is my life messed up, and you just are honest about it. That's where it begins. You can't get past that. These next things aren't even going to matter. But that's where it begins. That's where it began in, in, in Paul's life. And by the way, do you know how you recognize a person that's honest about the things that they struggle with? It's easy to, it's easy to see them. I know, I know when somebody gets it because they're taking action. They know it's not okay to just allow sin to run rampant in their life. They know it's not okay that, the, that, that evil is just kind of winning the day. It's not okay that the Adamic nature is just in control of their life. It's not okay, and so they're taking action. You show me somebody who's taking action. There's a part of their life that's ugly and sinful and the Adamic nature's eating them alive. You show me a person that's taking action and I'll show you a person that's honest about their struggles. Because they go hand in hand. You can't separate the two out. Number two, you gotta do this if you wanna win the civil war that wages within you. You gotta recognize that you don't have the power to overcome your struggles. Yeah, you got to recognize you got a problem, but then you got to get to the point where you go, I don't have the juice or the power or the ability to fix the problem. Look at verse 18. Paul says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. And then he kind of stops because there is something that good that lives in us, right? That's the Holy Spirit, right? He says, well, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do not want to do it, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. Beloved, the, the problem that you and I have is, is the sin that indwells our flesh. And I want to make sure that you, you get this. Your flesh in and of itself isn't evil or wicked or whatever. It's the sin that indwells your flesh that's evil and wicked. In other words, your flesh is just basically neutral. 
What your flesh is is simply the place where sin took up its headquarters. It's the base of operation. It's the place where sin operates out of, okay? I shared with you two weeks ago what Dr. MacArthur said. He said, after salvation, quote, after salvation, sin, like a deposed and exiled ruler, no longer reigns in a person's life, but it does manage to survive till a believer meets the Lord at the rapture or at death. And the reason why at rapture or at death we don't have to worry about it anymore is because this is where the, the, the sin is just, it's just a part of our flesh. You can memorize the whole Bible and you can't purge your flesh from sin. You can't do it. That's why this doesn't get to go to heaven. Heaven's a perfect place. If God allowed these bodies up into heaven, guess what's in heaven? Sin. Because this is where it lives. So this doesn't get to go to heaven. It ends up in a pine box. We're gonna get new bodies, but these new bodies won't have any sin infused within them. You understand that? Now, since we're all still alive, we've gotta learn how to deal with our flesh in a biblical way, because as, as I said earlier, you can't whip it into shape, you can't discipline it into shape, you can't will it into shape. In fact, you know what happens when you try to will your life to be different or you try to discipline your life to be different? You just get frustrated. That's what happens. The more I read this, the more I saw a frustrated man. I I mean, Paul wanted with every cell in his body to change. He wanted to do what was good. He wanted to please God, but he couldn't pull it off. He didn't have the power to overcome his flesh, and neither do you, beloved. Some of you wake up every day, bless your soul, longing to change something ugly about your life. I mean, you literally try with all your might to change, but you just can't do it. Oh, you might get a a day or two of victory, or maybe you get a week of victory. Maybe you even get a, a month of victory, but there just isn't any lasting results. For some of you, it's anger, right? You got a short fuse. And you have tried and tried and tried. I am gonna beat this. And you get a day or two. You get a week. But your spouse knows. It comes back. Just frustrates you. Frustrates everybody in your home. For some of you, it's alcohol. For some of you, it's impatience. For some of you, it's Self-control, for some of you, it's just control. You gotta control everything. For some of you, it's your thought life. For some of you, it's laziness. For some of you, it's self-centeredness. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's materialism. For some of you, it's sex. For some of you, it's pornography. Beloved, everybody has a skeleton in their closet. (laughs) The problem is they don't always stay in the closet, and that's the bummer. That's the problem with your old sin nature. You you can push it down for a while, but just when you least expect it, bam, like a jack-in-the-box, there it is, right? See, I got control of my anger. I did it. And then, bam! And your spouse knows, because they've seen you do it over 
And over and over again, they know the jack-in-the-box is going to pop because you can't pull it off with your own power. You're no match for the Adamic nature. <laughs> you're, you're no match. You don't have the, a good night's sleep and a good breakfast. Ain't going ain't to win that battle. Now, those might be some things you need to do that will win the battle. You don't have what it takes to change your life. You don't have the horsepower to pull it off. Remember that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asked the guys to pray and then later he finds them sleeping? Remember what Jesus said? The spirit is willing. The Christ-filled spirit within you is willing. Let's do it! Woo! The problem is it's housed within the Adamic nature. It's housed within the flesh. And it is weak. It's weak. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5. He said, for the sinful nature, the Adamic nature, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. It sounds like Romans 7, doesn't it? Because it is. He's once again writing to another uh, church family, and he's saying, listen, understand the civil war that we're in, Christian. You got these forces at work within you. Anyone who tries to live the Christian life in their own power or by their own effort or by their own strength is going to fail, and they're going to fail miserably. Why? Because you are no match for the old nature. Remember, it's under the control of something way more powerful than, than you, right? Now, if I ended my message right here, it would be a total bummer, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the good news is i got one more point. Number, number three. If you want to win the civil war that wages within you, you've got to totally surrender your life and your struggles over to Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to find victory. Paul says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is just dominated by sin and, and, and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the word miserable, some of your Bibles use the, use the word wretched in the Greek literally means worn out from exhaustion. It means having fought such an intense battle that you're absolutely out of energy, you're, you're out of juice, you're, you're worn out. So basically, Paul is saying, well, what, what, a, what a worn out and exhausted man that I am. I want you to know that describes a whole lot of Christians that I know. Maybe you. You're worn out. You're, you're out of energy. You're tired. You're exhausted. And because of this, you feel like throwing in the towel, don't you? What's the point? 
just keep losing the battle over and over again. I keep fighting the sin. I keep fighting the pornography, the sex. I keep fighting the anger and the alcohol. I keep fighting all these things. I'm just worn out. I'm just tired. I'm out of juice. Can't do it anymore. This describes you. You got to do exactly what Paul did. You got to cry out and say, God, I've been trying to change, but I can't. I really want to change, but I keep falling back into my old ways. And now on top of all my sin, I'm tired and worn out. Who will rescue me from my sin-filled nature? Who will rescue me from this war that I'm in? Beloved, it's a good thing to cry out to God when you're worn out. Paul says, I'm doomed. What a wretched man that I am. I'm worn out. I'm sick and tired. Paul says, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Who will rescue me from this body of death? See, when you go to God and you say something like that, he's going to answer. Now, he'll let you ramble on and ramble on. and Oh, God, ramble on, ramble on. He's super patient. And he'll ramble on and ramble on and, and ramble on. And then finally, you'll run out of energy. Now, now, now you're going, okay, good. Now zip her. Zip her up. Because <laughs> I got the answer. Good, I'm glad you finally got here. And I'm going to give you the same answer that I gave the great apostle Paul. You want to know who can save you from all of this? My son, Jesus Christ. Sin has so got a hold of you, you forgot about him. You're, you're, you're trying all these other things. You're spinning your wheels. You're using your own strength, your own power, your own will. My son, so you got to look for two. My, my, my son can pull up. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You, you, you've taken your eyes off of my son. The Holy Spirit gave Paul his answer. Who will rescue me from this, this body of death? Jesus Christ. Everything always comes back to Jesus. The only way that you can live the, the Christian life is to let Jesus Christ Live it through you. Our victory is simply through Jesus. There's another great old song. Everybody turned 473. <laughs> but you don't have it, so I put it up on the jumbotrons, okay? It goes like this. Let's sing it together. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. You see, it's what Jesus did at the cross when he shed his blood for you, when they put him into a tomb and he walked out of the tomb. That's where the victory is. The victory is in Jesus Christ. And some, too many times, let me just tell you, I do this. Too many times, because our Adamic nature gets the better of us, we start looking to other places. And all of a sudden, when you finally say, God, okay, I'm, I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
What do I do, God? Okay. All right. I got you. Look at me. Jesus, my son. You forgot about him. He's not a part of the solution. He is the solution. It's him. You see. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? He said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you'll just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You'll be exhausted. You'll be out of energy. You won't accomplish anything. It's only when you stay connected to me, Jesus says. That's when, that's where the action is in the Christian life. It's when you're connected to him. So the first step to overcoming your struggle is to totally surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. But there is a second step, and that is this. You gotta surround yourself with people that will help you keep your mind on Jesus Christ. I'm gonna take us all the way back to Romans chapter one. And Paul said this, the great apostle Paul said this. The first sentence makes sense. He said, I long to see you. He'd never been there before, remember. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Well, absolutely. I mean, if the apostle Paul walked in here right now, I'd say, man, get up here. The great apostle Paul's gonna preach. Are you kidding me? He would strengthen us. He would encourage us. I get it. He's the great apostle Paul. But he doesn't stop there because Paul understood something about life, about the journey of faith. He says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul understood the importance of fellowship. He understood the importance of a church family. He understood the importance of doing life with others. Yes, Paul knew he could be an encouragement to others, but he also knew he needed his brothers and sisters to be an encouragement to him. He needed that. He needed his brothers and sisters to say, hey, Paul, don't forget, keep your mind right there. Keep your eye on Jesus. Keep going. Keep up the good fight. Keep your eye on the Lord. We all need that in our lives. The church is an important part of our journey of faith where we can encourage each other. I tell you, Celebrate Recovery is a great place to find people that are honest about their struggles. They, they understand they don't have the horsepower to fix the problem, whatever it is. And it's a place where there's just a ton of people who will encourage you to keep your eye on Jesus. You see, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, coming to Big Valley doesn't change anybody's life. Going to any church doesn't change anybody's life. Going to CR doesn't change your life. Going to some Sunday school class doesn't change your life. Going to a small group doesn't change your life. What changes your life is if you come to church or you go to CR and when you're there, they tell you to get your eye on Jesus. Because it's Jesus who changes your life. And you can go to some churches where they don't, you know, you can be in the whole church service for an hour or two hours or whatever it is, and they never talk about Jesus. They never get into the Word. 
You go to CR, you're going to sing songs. You're going to have all these people who walked in and said, you know what? I got this problem with drinking. I got this problem with anger, and it's not okay. My Adamic nature has the better of me, and it's not okay, and I need some help. So they walk in here, and all the songs are about Jesus, and then everybody's pointing them to Jesus, and then they go get in a small group, and they get in a Bible study. We call it 12 steps, but there's really 12 Bible studies, and everybody gets into the Bible, and their eyes are on Jesus, and their eyes are on Jesus, and guess what? Their lives begin to change because now they're connected to the very power source that can help them overcome the anger or the alcohol or whatever it might be, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. And so when people say, hey, CR changed my life, look, I know what they mean. No, CR didn't change anybody's life. It's the Jesus that they pointed you to. You sang songs of Jesus. You got into his word. You had people around you who encouraged you to keep your eye on the very one who could change your life, you see? You've never been down here on a Tuesday. Some of you, that needs to be the decision you make. For some of you, you need to go home, just look your spouse in the eye and say, hey, um, I heard from the Lord today. and I struggle with alcohol. Now, that's not going to be a newsflash to your spouse. They've been living with it for a long time. It won't be a newsflash to your kids. It won't be a newsflash to, the, to your foursome that you play golf with. It won't be a newsflash to those that you're in the book club with. Everybody else knows about your struggle. It's just that today you're willing to go, I got a problem. And let me tell you something. (laughs) You do that, you go home to your spouse and say, man, I'm struggling with this or whatever it is. Take you five seconds to just get it out of you and it, it changed your marriage just like that. Because everybody's been living with this big pink elephant in the room. And today's the day where you go, that's it. I, I, I got to I I I go, get some help. Yeah. You can go into the altar room. Start there. And say, hey, look, man, I don't know what it is. I get angry all the time. Man, you know, here's the deal. I'm the most controlling person. I got to control everything. In fact, if I'd have known Rick was preaching on this today, I wouldn't have came. I'd have controlled my family to the degree I wouldn't even had him here today. But you're stuck, aren't you? And here you are. And everybody knows you're this control freak. It's sure fun to be in your home. And everybody knows it. Today's the day you just come clean and say, I'm going to be like the great apostle Paul. I'm just going to be honest about it. That change the dynamic of your home. Just like that. See, as long as you keep sin in the dark, then the enemy just eats you alive with it. Once you bring it out and you say, here, here it is. Here's what I struggle with. And I know I struggle with it. And so I'm going to do what I can to get the help. I, I, I just got to tap into the power of Jesus Christ. And, a, and I, I just, I, I know. Change your life. This is a church because of our Celebrate Recovery and other ministries. It's not just that. We see people who have all kinds of stuff. I don't know what it is, but man, victory. There's victory. There's victory. They're, 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 they're finding victory. And maybe you're next. 
You could go into the altar room, and our CR guy's going to be in there. Scott Miller will be in there. Call the church. Come down here on Tuesday night. I think at 530, if it's your very first time, we'll, we'll give you dinner free. Get a hamburger, hot dog, whatever. Come and eat. And then come in here and be blown away by the love of Jesus Christ that fills this room. And that's not to say you got some hard work to do. It's going to take some work. But you'll have a whole bunch of guys or gals around you that will love you and care about you. And uh, you'll start to experience a greater victory. Everybody in the venue stand up. Everybody in here stand up. Father, thanks, Lord, for the chance that we've had to be together here as a family. And I have loved all weekend, God. I've loved all the music. Man, it was just great to be here today and see ushers and greeters all gathered around the front up here praying and see, see people out in the, the cafe area praying. And Lord, uh, this is just a great place, the church here at Big Valley Grace. Thank you for all of those that love you and they love you so much, they serve. May this be a, just a great week where we invite lots of our friends. May, may this building just be filled with believers who are celebrating the risen Savior and the lost who would hear a clear message of the gospel. Thanks for all that you do for us. Jesus, you're, you're good. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Okay, live for Jesus Christ, okay?